Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, September 5th. Coming up, the story of one Missouri woman who was sent a medical bill months after her husband's death, and what you can do if you're in that situation. But first, some headlines. Kansas City officials are under pressure to decide whether to build a new city jail or share a facility with Jackson County. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports Jackson County wants the city to make up its mind by September 15th. The city is considering three options, two of which would share a jail with the county and a third would build a separate municipal detention center. Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas thinks the city can meet the September 15th deadline. How do we make sure that someone who is committing acts of criminality is getting the treatment that keeps them from recommitting and reoffending? Construction company J.E. Dunn told city council that a shared jail with Jackson County would cost the city more in the long run. A late summer rise in COVID-19 cases is hitting Kansas and Missouri. Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service reports. Kansas hospitals are only seeing about a third of the COVID hospitalizations as they did last fall. But numbers are on the rise, and officials say case clusters are too. Sedgwick County Health Department Director Adrian Byrne recommends people get vaccinated, boosted, and consider masking in crowded environments. When I go to a conference, I'll be wearing a mask, because I went to one in June, didn't wear a mask all the time, and got COVID. During the holidays, I'll probably mask. An updated COVID booster is expected to be released in the coming weeks. People can get that at the same time as their annual flu shot and a new RSV vaccine for certain groups. About 51 percent of Missouri is women. But Cassidy Arena reports women don't have that representation on the state's appointed boards and commissions. Even though women make up more than half of Missouri's population, they only represent about 37 percent of the state's appointed boards and commissions members. That's according to new research findings from the University of Missouri-St. Louis and United Women's Empowerment in Kansas City. UMSL's Anita Mannion was one of the lead researchers on the work-intensive project. She says some of the biggest barriers for women was access to information about these boards and commissions processes. We encourage those in your network to seek appointment. I'll be honest, as I've been working on this project, I thought, huh, maybe I should look into this kind of service. Why am I not doing this, right? The study also found a lack of racial and ethnic representation in those appointed positions. Fewer Kansas students are eating school lunch following the end of federal COVID subsidies that made all meals free. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports. For the first two years of the COVID pandemic, public schools served free breakfast and lunch to all students. Now they're back to charging families or requiring paperwork for students to qualify for free meals. A new report shows that fewer kids are eating those meals. Olatha and Shawnee Mission served about a third fewer school lunches last year. Cheryl Johnson with the Kansas Department of Education says the waivers ensured that kids got nutritious meals. It really is a benefit not only to their students, but to the families in their communities. About 30 Kansas districts are trying free meals for everyone this year. We'll be back after this.
When I say sandwich cookie, what do you think of? Oreo? Or what about Hydrox? The original cream-filled chocolate cookie? It's true. Hydrox cookies, the OG Oreo, are from Kansas City. And my podcast, A People's History of Kansas City, is digging into the story. Live at Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company in the Crossroads, Friday, March 29th. The first event sold out so fast, so we're going to do it again. We'll even have some cookies for you to sample. Visit kcur.org slash cookies for more information. Today, we bring you a segment from NPR about a Missouri woman who continued to receive medical bills after her husband's death. NPR's Michelle Martin spoke to Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal of KFF Health News about what family members can do if they find themselves in that situation after a loved one dies. Whose bill are we talking about today? This month, we're meeting Eloise Reynolds. She's from Missouri and lives in the St. Louis area. Her husband died in early 2022, and her struggle over the bill for his final hospital stay shows up as a common but maybe little-known reality of the medical billing system in the U.S. And why is that? Well, the amount a patient owes for health care sometimes changes over time. So a healthcare provider might come back demanding more money months or even years after you've paid what you think is the final bill. All right, let's hear more about that from reporter Stephanie O'Neill-Pattison. She spoke with Eloise Reynolds. Eloise Reynolds smiles as she remembers back to the late 80s when Kent Reynolds asked her to marry him. It was only their third date. I said yes, but I mean, if one of my children said that to me, I'd be like, um, I, I, I think, you know, let's not rush in. And yet, Eloise now considers that seemingly rash decision as one of the best she's ever made. She's now 62 with two adult kids. If I liked him when he asked me to marry him, I cannot start to tell you how much I liked him 33 years later. And even though um, he did break my heart (laughs) by dying, I would do it all over again. Kent first learned he had colon cancer in 2018. And for a while, chemotherapy kept the cancer in check. But a few years later, doctors put his treatment on hold. The chemo had worn down Kent's body. It taxed his liver, and doctors had to remove his gallbladder. Then it was time to focus on the cancer again. The whole team was in his room. They were all saying it's a go. They could get him strong enough to get him back on chemo. I was very excited. And then two days later, he said, you know, it's over. I'm really not okay. I'm not well, and it's got to stop. Kent, who was then 62 years old, was discharged into hospice at home where he died on March 12, 2022. The hospital sent a bill for Kent's care. The out-of-pocket cost was just over $800, which Eloise paid in full, finally closing the book on his years of treatment, or so she thought. But then, about a year after her husband's death, the hospital sent Eloise a new bill that said the Reynolds owed nearly $1,100 more for Kent's hospital stay. Eloise couldn't figure out why, because none of the charges for Kent's medications, lab tests, supplies, and other care had changed. It's the exact same bill. And I was so confused. And so I called, and the woman said, you know, I really don't understand this either. I'll call you back. She never called back. I sort of put it on the back burner. The hospital sent the bill again. Same thing. I got out the yardstick to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. I called again. Um, I was on hold for quite a long time, and a woman came on and said, I see what happened. Eloise says a hospital representative told her that the insurance company overpaid the hospital. So the hospital reimbursed the insurance company for the overpayment. Then they turned around and went after the family for some of that money, which is why she got that bill a year later. 
It didn't make sense to Eloise that they could demand more money. And on top of it all, she was still dealing with intense grief over the loss of Kent. It takes a couple years, but you do stop focusing on the death. But while you're still focused on the death, reliving that last hospital stay is something you really don't want to ever do. Eloise held off on paying the second bill. The health insurance company declined to comment. When KFF Health News reached out to the health system for comment, a representative said the bill was due to a clerical error and that Eloise owes nothing more. Eloise was able to avoid paying extra, but she suspects lots of other people would have just paid the bill. For NPR News, I'm Stephanie O'Neill Pattison. And we're back with Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal. Dr. Rosenthal, what do we think happened between the hospital and the health system in this story? You have a theory about that? Well, one thing we know is that hospitals and insurance companies typically have pre-negotiated contracts, and the insurance company is only going to pay the lower negotiated rate. That might explain what happened with that overpayment, where the hospital had to send money back to the insurance company. You know, our healthcare system is so complicated, clerical mistakes happen all the time. But should a patient, or in this case, a grieving spouse, be responsible? Okay, seems pretty mind-boggling, but let's say that this can happen. So if that can happen, what should patients do? So the first rule of thumb is don't pay the bill before you've gotten the explanation of benefits. What's called the EOB is the insurance company's accounting of what you owe and what the insurer will pay. If something doesn't look right, the next step is to ask the healthcare provider for an itemized list of your charges. Then compare that against the EOB. Fair amount of work, though. Yeah, and in this story, we just heard Eloise Reynolds say that she literally had to get a ruler out to make heads or tails of the medical bill. By that, I mean she probably just took the ruler and just went line by line trying to figure out, you know, what was on those lines. Does it have to be so hard? Yes, she did the work, but it's hard, which is why many billing experts say it's time for a system-wide change to give patients more information about their health care charges. And that would include medical bills that are simpler and easier for mere mortals to read. Is there any hope or alternatives for patients like Eloise Reynolds? I mean, it's, look, it's hard to fathom another system where you can pay for something and then months or years later have somebody come back and say, actually, no, you, you owe me more. So is there anything on the table here? Unfortunately, right now, there's simply not much oversight or industry standard for how long providers have to send a bill for medical services. But I think it'll come because there's really now broad recognition that it's needed. In the meantime, that means patients can be caught off guard months or years later when a bill shows up in the mail. But when that bill does show up, there are options to fight back. You might point out that Medicare won't pay claims submitted after a year. Or, of course, there's always the option of sending your story to Bill of the Month. Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Michelle Martin of NPR and Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal of KFF News. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read NPR's story about Eloise Reynolds' hospital bill, visit kcur.org, where you can find more news from NPR and Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.
At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.